Welcome to the Lutheran Outdoor Ministry Podcast. This is the place to be to hear all the latest news and information about the world's finest outdoor ministry network. And now, as always, here's your host, the Executive Director of Lutheran Outdoor Ministries, Mr. Don Johnson. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen on the LOM Podcast, I am so grateful today and excited about the opportunity to have an interview for our podcast with Pastor Yehel Curry. And Pastor Yehel Curry is the pastor of congregation, but for all of us in LOM, the real interest for him, for us, is that Yehel is the executive director of Rescue, Release, and Restore, which is the organization that encompasses camps Simba, Simza, and Myla. I have, over the years, heard bits and pieces about Camp Simba, Camp Simza, Camp Myla. And as I have become uh, so involved with LOM as its executive director, I've started to hear the name Yehel Curry more and more. And so I was really, really excited about the opportunity to sit in the same room with Yehel around a conference table at Churchwide a few months ago, where we spent a couple of days as part of a focus group that ELCA Advancement put together in preparation for their work on a grant that could have some really good impact for LOM organizations and for all of the outdoor ministry work that takes place uh, connected with the ELCA. So I had that opportunity, and holy cow, what an honor it was to meet Yehel Curry at that time, to get to know him a little bit. And I have, in a short time, just developed a strong respect for Yehel as a person who's very smart, very articulate, very passionate about ministry in general, very passionate in particular about the ministry of camps Simba, Simza, and Myler. So with that as an introduction, Yehel, welcome and thank you for being on our podcast with us. Thank you for having me. And Yehel, would you, uh, before we get into talking about the organization that you're in charge of as the executive director, would you just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background? Um, You're a Lutheran pastor. What is it that uh, led you to, um, to serve in the ways that you do? So just give us a little bit of background about yourself and how you get into all this. Yeah, born and raised in Chicago. Went to college, came back with a desire to teach Chicago Public School. Uh, I heard about an incident in the south side of Chicago at one of the housing projects where one kid held another kid over over a banister or something. And that was a tragic uh, situation. So there was an opportunity to teach at a school right where this had happened. Uh, and so I, I applied and 
was brought on into the school on the Chicago South Side and this housing project. And as I began to look for resources for some of my students, I learned uh, about Simba program. Uh, now, the way it was introduced to me was at this time they were having worship services twice a night called Shekinah Chapel. So the church I pastor wasn't a church at that time. It was never even a designed to be a church. It was a worship experience for kids who had gone to the Simba camp and was not connected to a church. So I, I go to one of their uh, Friday meetings. Uh, there's a worship experience and then there's people there from Simba and I'm learning about their camp, trying to get connected and ultimately got caught up in the worship service. And I started attending and my wife started attending and this was during a, a period of time after the camping season. So we were basically building up momentum until camp started. So I got connected with, with, this group that happened to be worshiping at a Lutheran church, St. Stephen's Lutheran Church on the south side of Chicago. But I had no idea that I was in a Lutheran church. I mean, the name was on the building, but that just wasn't my focus. So when, when, when it came time for camp, I had done some fundraising to get most of my uh, male students from my class to be able to attend this camp. So I'd grown to know many of the people in leadership in Chicago but didn't know some of the other leaders in other states. Uh, took these kids to camp and while they were learning, I was learning and uh, just, I, I knew from the first time uh, I stepped foot on Camp Iwalu in Strawberry Point, Iowa, which is where Simba Camp was being held at that time that you know I was gonna be connected to this organization for a while. To fast forward that story, I became more and more involved, started raising more and more money, getting more and more people involved. Shekinah Chapel Worship Service began to develop into a, a, a SOC, a worshiping community. And then they began to uh, develop into a, 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 a official congregation. Well, when that process came for them to develop into official congregation, I was asked to lead and be the lay mission developer. And accepting that position, I didn't realize that I was also accepting the role to be the leader of Rescue Release Store Organization. So uh, it's a weird story, but that's kind of how things came to be. Wow. So Camp Simba was already taking place when you got involved in it with the boys from the classroom you, you were involved with at the school. Yeah, I got involved around 1999. Yeah. Uh, and the first Simba camp, if I'm not mistaken, was in 1993. The first Friday worship service was in 1995. So, yes, those things have been going on. The ELCA, I tell people all the time, one of the best things that was ever done. Uh, they were paying attention to what was going on in the world. Uh, after the L.A. riots in the early 90s, some brain trust came together within the ELCA way before my time. Uh, and came up with this concept of putting together a, a rites of passage camp for African-American males and men. And so, yeah, it was already in existence. Back up a little bit, because I want to get back to um, get back to the whole thing of uh, Camp Simba coming into being and its connection with the ELCA and 
all that that you just mentioned. But what's the connection now from you bringing students from your school as a teacher to now being the pastor of an ELCA congregation? How does that all connect? It's truly a a God moment. So I didn't discern my calling to ministry. I was discerning my call to be involved in in young guys' lives. And so one of the things I've learned through this journey is just kind of those feelings you have, we call it discernment, right? And so my life trying to figure out how to soothe what I was feeling on the inside. I spent four years in, in foster care, working as a, a, a case manager and mental health professional. All of that was about trying to find this feeling. So yeah. when I got to Simba, I, I did say to myself, I could do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. So what I did not realize was this camp produced a worship service. That worship service became a church. So when those who were kind of organizing, they went together. So if you want the camp, you got the church. If you want the church, you got the camp. So in essence, I thought I was stepping up to lead this faith community. And I was very, very involved in the camp. And I, it, it, it was a partnership deal. You get to take the other free of charge. So <laughs> it, it, it is, it's, I can't say uh, it's something I thought about. It's not something I would have knowingly gone into, but I just got carried away uh, with the work that we were doing. So that work expanded from taking these kids to camp to people from Shekinah Chapel were showing up at the school every Saturday doing Simba uh, at the school every Saturday. So we did that for about three years before I started leading. Not only was I really involved, but uh, the congregation became really involved. And really, Simsa Camp, the concept was birthed at that school I was teaching at when some of the ladies were like, you guys are doing this work for the boys, but what about the girls? And so then the ladies from Shekinah Chapel started doing a group for girls uh, at the school. So this this connection with the school is really the birthing uh, place of our Safe in Our Sisters Arms camp. One thing that strikes me is being really unique for ELCA. In most cases, congregations or groups of congregations have birthed camps. In this case, the camp birthed a congregation. Do I have that correct? Not only do you have it correct, but but this camp birthed two more camps in a congregation. So <laughs> the birthing uh, has continued. And so you are absolutely right. That, that just speaks so many volumes about how camps can be such a valuable resource for our whole church and for our world because of the idea that camps can birth congregations, can birth faith communities. Um, And that's one of the big things I've noted has been a transition in outdoor ministry in the ELCA 
is that so many of our participants at LOM camps in general are um, their primary faith community, in some cases their only faith community, is the camp. And so, you, you know, the, um, the, there's in many cases for individuals not even a congregation involved because the, the, the camp is the primary faith community. I've got a, just a curiosity question to ask you. So after all this, I'm going to um, assume that you were already married at this point. Correct. What in the world did your wife say the first time you said to her, I think I'm being called to be a Lutheran pastor? <laughs> I say this a lot. So her her first words were, I hope you told them no. So we were both leaders in this ministry. Yeah, yeah. I, I need you to know when, when I first brought my uh, wife uh, to mm-hmm. one of the services, her first statement was, they're worshiping on Friday night. It can't be a real church. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then when we started, we moved the services to Sunday. Yeah. Uh, I looked up one Sunday and she had gone up to join the church. Uh, and and I, w- I had been busy praying and didn't realize it. So yeah. I tell people all the time, my wife and daughter joined before I did. But as we got really involved, I mean, we were really committed to this ministry. At that time, the average age was about 25 and it was 50 or so of us. We were all doing the work of mentorship. I mean, that was just kind of our thing. Simba and Simsa was our thing and it evolved to children's liturgical dance, but we were, we were a church full of mentors. And so we were leaders. And when our, the, the previous person who was leading uh, the church decided to leave, I just did not expect that they would ask me. Mm. Uh, and my wife didn't expect it either. I, I think it was this sense of this community that we are in. If it's going to continue, it looks like somebody has to step up. Mm. And so my initial um, feelings were, I don't see what they see in me but I love the communities enough that I'm willing to step forward. And that's where we agreed. And during that process of formation, I just began to realize that I had been, I was being called the entire time. So initially it was a shock to my wife, my, my siblings, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, to most of us. It's just not how I was discerning uh, these feelings inside. So now, did you go grow up um, as a child? Did you grow up going to church? Always been involved in community uh, activism and organism. I mean, in organ organizing. So we were involved with the Catholic Church that was really, really involved. I went to yeah. Catholic grammar school, yeah. Catholic yeah. high school, and the Catholic university. Yeah. Uh, but there was starting to be some problems when we came back from 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 college, and so. We found ourselves uh, worshiping more Baptist congregations and just typical what I call black church uh, yeah. is, full in, is in our community. Yeah. So how we worshiped at Shekinah versus how they were worshiping at the traditional Lutheran church in the community was was so different. That's why I wasn't we weren't even sure it was a it, it was connected with the Lutheran church. There were so many young people and, and the worship was so so vibrant and speaking to, 
to us. Yeah. So yeah, so I, I was familiar with the community where the meeting was. I was I was ingrained, I was indigenous to the community. So those things weren't weren't foreign to me. Uh, a few minutes ago you mentioned that the ELCA was really paying attention back in the 1990s, paying attention to the right things. What specifically was the role of ELCA in the whole process of getting Camp Simba uh, going, getting Camp Simba organized? Yeah, and this this was before my time. So as I understand the study, the story is uh, some of the leaders at Churchwide had been on the ground when some of the outrage over Rodney King was happening. There was a realization that some of the frustration wasn't being channeled in the right manner. And unfortunately, what the media was focusing on is how African-Americans in that community were uh, carrying out their aggression uh, and harming uh, their community. So uh, the likes of Gaylord Thomas and uh, a gentleman named Harvard Stevens and Wyveta Bullock and mm. Bethel Lutheran Church on the West Side. And there were there were just Albert Starr, uh, Pastor Hamilton in, yeah. in Florida. There was just a lot of leaders that came together that says, what what can our response be as an ELCA? There was this model of what we call rites of passage by which the elders gather the children. And you go away and you, you begin this process of, of just instruction, fun, instruction, familyhood and fellowship. And so that concept was contrived at Churchwide. It was developed at Churchwide and some support was put together at Churchwide. And perhaps the thought was that it was going to be short lived, but it kept growing and growing and growing to where ultimately it was suggested that this camp, the SIPA camp, create its own 501c3 and start going after its own support. So after about seven, eight years, so first camp was in 93, I think, uh, started moving towards uh, independence, I would say somewhere around 2003 or maybe the year before. And so after lifting up and supporting uh, this need, uh, it began the process of kind of doing uh, some work on its own. And because this worship community, Shekinah Chapel, was developed as a result of it, I guess it was just wise for this camp, which now goes under Rescue, Release, Restore, would be housed with, with, within Shekinah Chapel. Shekinah Cha- Chapel is an ELCA congregation. You're an ELCA pastor. I know there's other ELCA. I know one, uh, um, uh, CJ Clark from Living Water Outdoor Ministries in Michigan is on the board of directors of RRR. Is the connection with ELCA just as strong today as it was in those early days? Yeah, I, I think because we don't have the history, and I think because most people aren't aware that that this is the brain trust of, of, of our leaders at the ELCA. It just seems like this anomaly, which is why we have to continue to tell the story. So not only is CJ Clark on the board, but also Sunita. And most people don't know that both of those, uh, Sunita, which represents Glocal, and CJ Clark, Living Water Ministries, both Lutheran entity, they are the, the um, co-founders of my love camp. 
So it's mm-hmm. rescue, release, restore, and those two entities. The three of us share Myla Camp. It 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 was a convening together. Uh, so both of them are on the board, and so yes, I I, I think the the connection is is greater. But because it was something that was happening during a time of 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 racial unjust, and many people had their hands on it, uh, it was more visible, I think, at its start than more so than it is. Simba is for boys. Mm-hmm. Simba is for girls. I know that they both help kids to focus on rites of passage into responsible adulthood. Do I have that correct? Is that it? Yeah, it's, it's correct. I like to tell people, think about a confirmation camp. Yeah. Confirmation camp really is a rites of passage camp. It's where kids are going to sure. go there for a particular reason. We're expecting them to learn a particular thing. Yeah. Uh, so every year we come up with a curriculum, a goal of what we want to have deposited in the children. So in addition to the fun and the fellowship, there are always lessons uh, involved for us. It's always to help you in life. And so, yeah, so both are rites of passage camps in that sense that you, you're, you're going to receive something that year. And typically there's this process like confirmation where there's an assessment to say, how well did you do kind of gathering those things we, we wanted you to know before you go to the next level in life? That's awesome. And, and what about Myla? Yeah, so Myla is what we refer to as a leadership camp. So you got these three entities. And so what happens is we make recommendations from Simba and Simsa for those leaders to go to Myla. Uh, Sunita and Glocal make recommendations for, for youth and leaders and CJ and Living Water make recommendations and also people apply. We came up with the concept of Myla because we had all been involved with Mile, which is connected with the youth gathering. And at Mile, every three years, we're bringing together these awesome leaders from communities of color. But what's happening in the years outside of that? In many cases, there aren't any LYO organizations that represents this community um, as we see them at Mile. So there isn't these these groups that exist. So what's happening to these leaders who've been formed at Mile? So we came up with a concept that said, what happens if the, the formation continues? So what you, you, you met this wonderful sophomore in high school. How do we get them back together? And so that's how the Myla uh, concept came up. So outside of the gathering years, we still will have a camp where formation is still happening, which is the goal of Mile and youth gathering. And so it's considered a leadership camp. So that's where we we say just high school students only. I think we've allowed some eighth graders who's going into high school. Uh, and our focus is on continuing uh, the the learning and experiences of the leaders at, at Myla Camp. So for the Myla Camp, do you do anything about tracking those kids um, afterwards to get some kind of sense of um, the long-term impact on their passion for being leaders in the world? Yeah, uh, so we've had two Myla camps and then we had last year's youth gathering where we did not meet. Oh, it's that new, okay. So we've only had two camps, but to answer your question, yes. 
So from our inaugural group, already it's taking on some of the same DNA that we see in Simba and Simpson. That is, we have like three or four kids from that original group who have, who have already been promoted to staff. At Simba and Simpson, like 50 to 60% of our staff was once campers. So we, 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 do, we like to say we create our own leaders. And what that means for us is we want to instill in the kids that some of the greatest things we could ever do is, is to come back and pour into others what was poured into us. So for Mila, it's still kind of early, but yes, we do track and we'll continue to track, but we probably need about another three to four years in kind of assessing our effectiveness with that. This is um, something that occurs to me that so many of our Lutheran camps are challenged in terms of finding summer camp staff in general, and particularly challenged in recruiting summer camp staff who are persons of color. And I'm just wondering if. Um, I, what it would what it would look like if um, Myla became not only a leadership academy for RRR, but a leadership academy for the whole church, and perhaps um, finding places for leadership at camps throughout the whole ELCA, and not only at the Simba and Simza camps. I mean, is that an idea that? strikes you as even being practical? We were honored to have a documentary made. It was for uh, a national uh, television service, and it's a Myla, I think it's on Vimeo, but if you were to look at the um, documentary, we clearly state that the purpose of Myla is to send people out. Yeah. So we want to create these diverse communities where you could walk alongside another culture. Sunita has a way of saying that what you see over there is not good, it's not bad, it's just different. Teaching uh, and making people aware that it is okay to, to love your culture. It is okay to love the way you do things, but do you have that ability to walk alongside someone else and to be able to translate that? in another environment. So what we found in Myla is that the people who we are lifting up, they're learning how to walk alongside in every cabin. It is diverse. We are intentionally diverse in our staff and who's in the, in, in the, in the room, in the cabin, uh, the meals we eat, the songs we sing, uh, the prayers we pray. So it is, we, we, that is by design, but the, 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 ultimate goal for us to send out. So I think we will be in 100% agreement with even your assessment of what you just said. Um, so I'm going to use this opportunity to just um, make a, a note, particularly directed towards any camp directors, executive directors, program directors who are listening to this podcast, that when we are all together, in Texas for the LOM conference in November, that would be a great possibility to explore with Yehel and three other representatives from Rescue, Release, Restore, 
who will be at the conference in November. That's that's going to be okay. That's my one of my asides um, to to the network. Camp Simba, Simza, and Myla. Where do they take place? Yeah, so Simba and Simsa takes place in Waypost uh, camps, which is in Hatley, Wisconsin. It's uh, part of the Crossways. Um, Crossways, yeah. Uh, yeah, camping ministries organization. And just something that just happened for the first time for us with Crossways is when our camp ended, one of our leaders then worked at their camp. Ah, awesome. So, some of the ways that we are kind of exchanging uh, staff in that way. Yeah. Myla Camp happens at Living Water in New Era, Michigan. And this current camp season next year, we are expanding. We haven't secured uh, the contract <coughs> yet, but we're looking to um, have another Simba camp in the Ohio, uh, in the state of Ohio. Right now, we're looking in the Columbus area. And <coughs> There's some other places uh, within the next two to three years by which we think uh, might do do a little bit more expanding east and west. Well, certainly one of my hopes is that L- Lutheran camps can uh, can continue to be the hosts for Simba Simza and Myla. I hope that our Lutheran camps can work that out with your organization. And, uh, but wherever you hold your camps, we definitely will continue to identify Rescue, Release, Restore as a Lutheran outdoor ministry uh, program and one that we want to stay connected with. And one of the reasons for that is because LOM is all about, I mean, what LOM is, it's an organization of Lutheran outdoor ministry leaders who connect with each other in order to help each other be as strong in their leadership of outdoor ministry programs as they possibly can. We want strong outdoor ministry everywhere throughout the ELCA. So that leads me into a question for you. In what ways do you feel that Simba Simza Myla can be particularly helpful to all of our LOM camps in in general? What are you learning that would be particularly helpful for all of us to learn? Yeah, I I think... Because Crossways is new, um, I think if you had looked at us three years ago when we first arrived and the the two sets of staff, it, it was clear that these were distinct programs trying to figure out how to coexist. Had you been there last year, uh, I, I think you just would have we you would have witnessed this this coming together, this meshing uh, where. It felt like one staff ultimately. But uh, in response, one of the things we learn is uh, everything from songs, how uh, camp happens, different activities, different procedures. And so I think we're learning kind of how to be community with one another. Typically, we are bringing alongside 
our supporters and resources uh, that might be new. Uh, the, the, the Lakota tribe comes and builds their Anipi, their sweat lodge, and they do the education around that. We typically have people come into the camp and they're teaching uh, various parts, whether it be about culture or uh, uh, just how to make it in life, self-esteem, a depression, suicide, whatever the the skill shops that are being taught is also is being learned by the entire community. The reverse is also true. Um, there are things that that we are just uh, gleaning uh, from experienced staff and, and and committed people at every campsite that we're at. So I think it's a shared co-learning opportunity where we learn a little bit more about some of the indigenous African-American camping experiences, what works for us. (laughs) Another great thing that is being learned is about food. I know that in many cases, kitchen staff is just, it's it's important, camps needed. Uh, It's one of the ways we generate income. But whenever we've been allowed to bring our staff in, how to cook meals differently, how they are prepared, uh, there's always a lot going on in the kitchen with shared staff. Uh, I didn't know you could make this that way, or do you try this this way, or will they eat it if, if this is in it or that is in it? And so those moments are, are just really, really important. Uh, it's a, a cross-cultural exchange, uh, and it happens every single day. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think we're learning how to be community with each other how to walk alongside somebody else, how to ask questions. I think the adults, uh, we, we, we have more attention than the children. Sometimes mm-hmm. they just go right up and ask the staff whatever question they're thinking, whether it's about race or just community, anything. So, yeah. So uh, I, I know that throughout LOM, because of the makeup of ELCA in general. Many of our camps have a long history of being a primarily white population in camp. A lot of that has been changing for any number of our camps over the past years for camper population, becoming much more multi-ethnic in its composition. But a real tough nut to crack for many of our camps, even the ones who have become uh, much more ethnically integrated in terms of their camp population, is the staff, the summer camp staff population in, well, all the year-round staff, too. In fact, um, you, you know, when we look at the people in the room at our LOM conference, it's, uh, it, it's, you know, executive directors, associate directors, program directors, about 150 people gathered together. And oftentimes there's not one person of color involved, which is reflective of our difficulty in moving persons of color through the process of increasing leadership. Other than what we've already talked about, do you have any particular hints for us? Yeah, I, I I don't claim to be an expert on it. I do think we have to name it. Um, too often when I'm in those settings, I hear things like, you know, I hear about this camp. Great. What's in it for me? And my thought is always, have we looked at the room that gathers? 
I mean, either we're going to get serious about naming the problems that we all have and say, like, what's the way forward? I think that way forward is uh, is in community building. I think the way forward is in just kind of naming uh, where we, we might have fallen short uh, in the past and make a commitment to be uh, different uh, moving forward. So I don't have some special remedy or anything. I could just tell you about what's happening at Living Waters and what's happening at Waypost. And that is because of this, we use all staff as a resource and was just super excited that, again, after our Simba and Simpsa camps, that uh, one of our kids felt comfortable enough to say, I've been offered a position. I feel safe enough to go back into that environment. I know these people and do a couple of weeks until their, their camp is over. So I commend the, the camp director, Adam, for, for, for making the invitation. And this happens always with uh, uh, our, our friends at, at Living Water. They always ask if we have staff who's available. And so I think that's a great start. And I'm sure there's other stories like that throughout LOM that's happening. Uh, but that that's the only thing that I could point to from our perspective. Yeah, we're getting near the end of the time for this podcast. I'm sure it will have such popular acclaim that we'll want to schedule a second podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, here's uh, here's a question I have for you as we get near the end of this podcast. When you're at the LOM conference in November, is there anything that you're particularly looking forward to? And is there anything that you're particularly anxious about? I I will say this, that for us, we've been doing our work for the most part in isolation outside of our partners. So a lot of the the best practices that we have learned has come from trial and error. And so the fact that there is a community has some value to us. And we're we're just there to uh, be in the space and to attend whatever workshops or however the community forms, uh, we just want to be present. Um, I, I, I think for me uh, and the three that will uh, be coming with, that's, that's really what we want. There are things we will learn and, and, and value, engage just by LOM going about its normal course of business. Because for us, typically we're figuring out some of this either through our state camping association uh, in the state of Illinois, or we're calling up partners, or we're, we're doing it in isolation. So it's it'll be great for for some leaders to meet others and have somebody they can have a dialogue with or bounce some things off as it relates to best practice. Well, I know I for one, and I feel that m- many. Others are looking forward to seeing you in Texas for that conference and look forward to that. Hey, um, Yehel, uh, anything else that you were hoping that we would talk about during this podcast that we haven't talked about yet? No, no. Uh, I, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I think you spoke uh, well at the beginning just about how we came together. We've been hearing each other names and maybe even seeing each other in different places, but the opportunity, we, we never had a moment where we could sit and, and yeah. have yeah. 
a, an extended dialogue where we get to name things uh, that we've been uh, wanting to ask each other for a while. And I was just grateful that opportunity presented itself. Uh, and as a result, uh, definitely have a better understanding and uh, committed to moving forward. Yeah, that, that's most certainly a mutual feeling. Yeah. So Yahel, thank you very much for taking the time today. We'll be looking forward to seeing you and good camping. Thanks for listening to the only official Lutheran Outdoor Ministry podcast in the entire world. Until next time, check out the Lutheran Outdoor Ministries website or our Facebook page. So long for now from the Lutheran Outdoor Ministries World Headquarters. On behalf of Don Johnson, have a wonderful day.